Dotnet Rocks episode 923 with guest Patroclos Papapetru, recorded live Wednesday, November 6th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell, and we're at OrDev. Welcome back to another live edition of .NET Rocks. I love being live. Well, we're live here in Malmo, Sweden. The uh, last show that we did just about an hour ago, I don't know what week or what order they're in, but I think this one comes after that no, one. No, actually, I think this one comes, the one we're about to do comes first. That oh, really? one comes after, but that's fine. Oh, it's fine. You know, time shifting is time shifting. Time shifting is fun. But anyway, you, you got to stick around for that one. For sure, yeah. A couple of weeks you're really going to enjoy. Uh, we talked to Randall Monroe from XKCD, and he was awesome. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, XKCD.com. Just go check it out. Uh, but anyway, we're going to do a proper show here. So let's kick it off with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, um, I don't know if you know this, but I've been sort of... Um, up to my elbows in a JavaScript jQuery project. Uh, I think I heard you cursing JavaScript earlier today, I so wasn't. now I understand. I wasn't cursing it just so much as, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I was yeah, cursing Yeah, you were cursing. It. Yeah, I was cursing yeah. it. Um, you, you, know, you won't, it's, it's only when you really get to use a tool, really know, own a tool, that you can really yell at it. Well, it's not that, I, I love JavaScript and I love the modern browsers and everything that they can do, and it's really amazing. It's just that when you know what you want to do, and it's been you've been so spoiled by the .NET framework, yes. you know, and a simple thing like um, like in a in in jQuery, you can basically handle um, button click events right. by specifying the button by name and then click, and then underneath that, you know, it's all asynchronous, and you can do all these nest all these uh, asynchronous methods gets, and then the result of that. And it's very nice. Cool. But what if you have an array of buttons? Like, what, what if you have data-generated buttons that, oh, okay. that are all unique in some way, and you need to handle clicks for all of them? Right. So I quickly found that, well, you can just assign each of them to a class, mm -hmm. and then you can handle a click on all the, all the buttons that belong to that class, which right. is great. And then... How do you know which button it is? No. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, when you have a button handler event in .NET in C Sharp, yep. or VBNet for that matter, you get a sender. Yeah, you it's know like who. It's like such a basic idea, yeah. a sender. But you wouldn't believe how much hunting around I had to, and people explaining this uh, on, on the boards and stuff. Of how to, you know, how to, how to just do the multiple handler and stuff without saying... Oh, and by the way, here's how to find out which button that you're ac actually fired this right. event. Left that little tidbit yeah, out. They left that little, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? It kind of matters. Yeah, it's aggravating. <laughs> I swear to God, it was 10 or 11 or 12 different explanations of how to do the multiple button handler before nice. I found one that actually said, oh, yeah, and by the way, here's how 
define the actual. Yeah, it's just infuriating. Awesome. So, so who, what's your framework right. to know better? Well, anyway, I'm using this tool uh, because I wanted to implement a queue. Yep. And in JavaScript, you can do queue-like things, stacks and queues, just using JavaScript arrays, because the arrays have uh, you know methods on them that allow you to move things around and push and pop and and all of that stuff. But they can be a little bit um, performance heavy. So this guy, basically, if you go to tinyurl.com slash qjs, that's q-u-e-u-e-j-s. Yep. He implemented q.js. And let me just read exactly what this does. Qs can be implemented in JavaScript using arrays by using the push or unshift functions to add items to one end of the array and the shift or pop functions to remove them from the other. This method, while simple, is inefficient for large queues as the shift and unshift functions move every item in the array. Queue.js is a simple and efficient queue implementation for JavaScript whose DQ function runs in amortized constant time. Nice. I'll tell you about that in a second. As a result, for larger queues, it can be significantly faster than using arrays. So anyway, this guy basically is under the, um, under the assumption that memory is more vast than performance. Right. We have more memory than performance. And so what he does is instead of moving all that stuff around in memory, he just leaves it. And he just keeps adding stuff to the end of the array and just keeps a pointer Nice. in memory. So he's keeping track of where things are in the queue. And, you know, by the time it gets up to the, the largest number that could be in an array, you've got to be what the hell are you doing, really, right? <laughs> yeah. How many things are you putting in the queue for yeah, crying exactly. out loud? exactly. All right, then it's time to make a new queue, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so anyway, queue.js, it's, it's very cool and it's very performant. Nice. So that's what I got today. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, well done. And uh, tinyurl.com slash queue.js. And, and or you can I'll just... add those to the show notes. Yeah, there you go. Know it, learn it, love it. So who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 862, and that's the one we did with uh, Tony and Nick about Glimpse. Yeah. And uh, this comment comes from Kyle McCarthy, who said, I've been listening to the show for a while, and it has often inspired me to take a look at different things. However, Glimpse has been the most useful toolkit addition that I've seen in a long time, so much so that I was inspired to register just to say thanks to the authors and hosts for making and pointing me in the direction of this. Wow. As the quote, performance police at my small web development company, this is an invaluable tool. Nice. Rarely have I found anything so simple to use and extend. It took me about three minutes to implement a simple sample log for net tab myself. And there's already a package for this called glimpse.log4net. The longest part of it was typing out log for net. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And I just... I felt pretty good about that. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. You know, we were always trying to find great libraries and great tools. I think we got a good one today, too. Yes. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, releasing over 40 new courses every month and still offering a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. 
Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guest, Patroclos Papapatru. Yep. Hey, I yep. got it right, Patroclos. Nice to meet you. He's a software gardener, self-proclaimed at Food Tech Solutions, co-author of Sonar Cube in Action at Manning, been in the development business for over 15 years. He's an agile guy, and uh, he's uh, very hip to this tool, Sonar, which we're going to be talking about. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to have you. <laughs> and I would love to answer all your questions about SonarCube and code quality. So let's start with what is SonarCube? Well, SonarCube, uh, which was uh, renamed a couple of months ago from the previous name, which is Sonar, it's a free and open source uh, code quality tool. You can download it without having to pay anything, install it locally and do whatever you want. It's open source, you can modify it, you can create your customized version of SonarCube. Uh, and start analyzing your code. Um, it and it do, this does this sort of in the background, right? It's inspecting the code, is that the idea? Yeah, the idea is that you feed SonarCube with uh, source code files and binary files. It analyzes it uh, by using external tools or mechanisms that have been uh, built in the core system. And it calculates uh, hundreds of metrics. You can optionally um, persist them, stored in database, and then you can uh, send developers to see these metrics in a nice dashboard view uh, using any, any browser. The idea is that it provides um, in-time uh, snapshot analysis. It analyzes the current status of your code and associates it with a snapshot analysis. So, so this goes way beyond testing, right? This is sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. inspecting and looking for what? Complexity and... Yeah, actually, um, this Sonar Source, which is the company behind SonarCube, these guys have invested on uh, computing metrics for all the seven deadly sins of developers. Or they use another term, they call them the seven axes of quality. Okay. Oh, wow. So they provide metrics for all seven axes, which one of them is apparently uh, testing coverage. So tell, tell us what they are. Yeah, uh, I start with duplications because I think it's the worst of all. Sure, and the easiest sin to make. <laughs> it's very easy to make. Uh, all developers duplicate code, and I think it's the worst one because when you duplicate a code, you duplicate the complexity, you duplicate the bugs, sure. you duplicate lack of unit testing, so I think it's the worst of all. Uh, then it's test coverage, and they don't only... Um, provide metrics for unit test coverage, but they have also the term of integration uh, coverage, test coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, with integration testing, you might think anything but unit testing. Acceptance testing, user interface testing, uh, anything that has to do, hasn't to do with uh, unit testing. And you have complexity, as you, as you mentioned, you have uh, design and architecture. And the complexity just m is not just cyclomatic complexity, yeah. but... Of course, they, they compute uh, cyclomatic complexity, but they also have some other metrics like LCOM4, which is the lack of cohesion of methods, yeah. and uh, the, uh, the RFC metrics, which are responsible for class, another one. Uh -huh. um, they have also some afferent and different couplings hmm. about uh, uh, classes. Um, then we have design architecture metrics, like dependency cycles. Uh, we, we need to cut some dependencies to provide better architecture. Okay. Then we have documentation. You might think that 
what the heck documentation has to do with uh, mm. uh, uh, code quality, but they are talking about code documentation. I mean, uh, documenting your public API and providing comments within your code. And finally, we have uh, two another axes, which is about potential bugs or certain bugs at coding rules. This might be have a strong relation between them because uh, when you have uh, a potential or certain bug, you surely have broken uh, a coding rule. So these are the seven deadly sins of developers. Um, take me back to that last one again, coding rules. Yeah. So give me an example of a coding rule that you might enforce. Yeah. Uh, let, uh, let, let, let's bring a, a serious example, a serious problem. You, I'm not .NET guy, so I will give examples in Java. That's uh, fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, impossible casting. I mean, casting an object to any such object to another one, which is impossible. So this is a coding rule. If you if you break it, then you got an issue. It's a term they use in SonarCube. Previously, was uh, used the, the word uh, violation. So you get an issue about uh, that. Or um, if you catch an exception and you don't do anything with that, you just shallow it. Then it's another coding rule. So they say, okay, you had the exception, please do something with it, at least log it or pass it up. Okay, now where does, where does SonarCube run? Does it run on my machine where I'm developing code? Uh, no, the, the, uh, the suggested approach is to install it in a, in a, in a centralized server okay. with a database. Um, there you can, uh, you can provide all the quality rules, you can customize it. Uh, so the reason needs. I ask that is because yeah. if I'm a developer, I want to sort of know about, you yeah. know, that I'm breaking the rules before I check it you, in, you, right? You, you and can, I get you, humiliated. You, by <laughs> you can do that. My, yeah. Well, officially, um, they support uh, uh, Eclipse ID. They have a plugin about Eclipse, uh, and you can uh, run the same analysis locally before you commit your code. Yeah. Uh, cool. For other developers that don't, I think there's also another uh, plugin offered by the community for Visual, Visual Studio. Nice. For you guys. Nice. <laughs> With, that's the same thing. Uh, for other developers that don't use these IDs, they can perform local analysis manually and have a report with all the new issues that they would probably introduce if they commit their code. So right. they try to fix them before they commit and they're okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm all into public humiliation and shame <laughs> of yeah. my fellow coders, not of me, of course. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Always. Yeah. But it, so all of these seven deadly sins, you've actually got code inside of Sonar that detects them. So it's hunting for duplicate code. Exactly. Yeah. How, how does it surface that? Like, it, how does it show you that it's duplicate? Um, for its, uh, um, uh, for its, let's say, uh, axis that, that they track, they mm -hmm. provide, um, they have dashboards, okay. Yep. And in, in, in the dashboard, they provide widgets. Each widget uh, focuses on specific uh, axis. So you have a widget that shows the density of duplications, mm -hmm. and you might get also uh, metrics about the number of lines, the number of blocks or files. And especially about duplications, they have a great feature. You can not only um, inspect duplications within the same project, but you can inspect duplications across all projects analyzed by SonarCube. Wow. wow. That's yeah. a great feature. I really like that. Sure is, yeah. Uh, and how uh, size sensitive is this? Like, how, if, as my project gets big, how long does this testing take? Uh, well, it, it, it depends. Uh, uh, I, we have a project in, in, in the company I work with about uh, 700,000 lines. Right. Well, it takes about 50 minutes uh, for the analysis to run, but it's a huge project. Sure. Usually, um, typical size project uh, around, could run about uh, 10 minutes or at, at most five, 15 minutes. So this has got to be part of your testing process, right? 
yeah. Um, Actually, it's not testing uh, process. I mean, it's it's within our development uh, uh, cycle. I mean, uh, we we have instructed our CI engine, which is Jenkins, by the way, right. to build uh, um, after its commit uh, Sonar Cube to run a Sonar Cube analysis. If something is not as we want to be, mm -hmm. for example, we hit the threshold about coverage, then we force the Jenkins build to be broken. Right. And afterwards, we have our nightly builds, and we we run a complete analysis again for Sonar Cube, uh, which uh, this analysis actually is stored in the database. So next day in the morning, all developers have the same dashboard and see what's happened from the previous day. That's really cool because those are all things that could not necessarily be caught with, you know, your your testing and continuous de deployment and development and integration and all the all, all the tests that. Your, your test may pass perfectly, but but it's more like architectural yeah, uh, design it, It's flaws. not only about testing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I give uh, I, I give an example uh, in my talk. Uh, you can run the same tools manually. For example, you can run uh, PMD analysis for your, for your files, and you can send these these files, the results of this analysis, to your developers. But mm -hmm. you are missing so many other uh, stuff about duplications, about complexity, yeah, sure. uh, test coverage. All this is done automatically. If you've done it manually, if you do it manually, you have too many steps, and it's really boring to yeah. do it every day. Sure. And I love how it just breaks the build if it says, ah, oh, nope, this is, you know, yeah, too and, many red flags and, have gone up here. And there is another great feature. You can integrate it with your uh, favorite uh, source control management tool, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. can see exactly who's the one that not only broke the build, but who has done the committed the the ugly code, yeah. the bad code. But again, you know, getting back to my earlier point where you really want to be running this, you know, before you check your code in, yeah. don't you? You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The sooner we catch problem, the better off we are. Right. Exactly. That's the point. Not yeah. only to catch them early, but to prioritize them and put a specific timeline when you fix it. But then, you know, some things like duplication probably, you know, couldn't be caught until everybody checks their code in, because you might have written the same yeah. code that I wrote, yeah, that's true. and therefore, that's true. absolutely, yeah, absolutely, which I think is a real legitimate duplication, absolutely. right? If we both solved the problem unaware the other had, you know, the fact that, that this would pick that up and go, hey, you know, you guys both solved this problem. Well, yeah. So when it comes to duplication, is it going to look for exactly the same code, or is it going to look for a code that has roughly the same result? Yeah. Um, actually, this is a mystery <laughs> because, it? yeah. Um, nobody knows how SonarCube detects uh, duplications. I mean, um, really, actually, nobody knows. <laughs> no, the, uh, <laughs> except the guys but that have. I mean, the guys outside Sonar Source. I mean, I have seen plenty of um, uh, friends in the mailing list asking users asking how they can configure this this mechanism to fit their needs, and there's no configuration. Right. I mean. Uh, I would say that okay, they try to find that uh, let's say ten lines of code that they are look similar or the same and okay mark this as as uh, code duplication but it's not the case they they do something like tokens they tokenize the, the source code. code maybe they're looking no, at no, the no no they they tokenize the source code really and they, they try to find tokens but i don't know how they do it they, they right. don't answer this question well, it sounds like someone's basically written an interpreter for all that code to figure out that it's got similar functionality yeah or or what i you know if i was in java i'd be looking at the bytecode and if I was in .NET, I'd be looking at the uh, IL. The IL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the truth is that, that 
their mechanism is actually working on any language because it, it uses tokens. So they they parsing. I'm sure they are parsing uh, source code, mm -hmm. not binary code. Mm -hmm. They were used to uh, integrate to use another uh, uh, CPD mechanism from from PMD, I think. Okay. But they drop it away. And they have implemented their own one. All right. So they're doing their own voodoo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now you said any language. I could I could literally run this through anything. Yeah. So if you if you if you're a developer, you're going to to write a new plugin to uh, provide support for a new language. Let's mm -hmm. say uh, the Go language for Google, which is not which is, there's no plugin currently. Yep. You can use their mechanism to automatically parse your code and find duplications. You don't have to write again nice. the mechanism. Yeah, I'm just thinking what that would be like on JavaScript. Yes, there is. There is a plugin about that. What are you that. looking at me for? I'm not looking at you. You just did my sight line. It was, I was looking at you. Yeah. There's oh, a plugin man. about JavaScript, and actually it computes yeah. uh, duplications. I've used it. Well, and you know, I mean, the dangerous part I found with a lot of JavaScript is you're including all these libraries, not realizing how much overlap there is in them. Yeah, you can exclude these libraries. Yeah. You mean uh, if you're using Node.js or AngularJS, you can exclude these libraries from your analysis because mm -hmm. you don't build, you don't owe them. You can't do anything about that. Yeah. So you just analyze your own source code files. Yeah, keeps things smaller. Yeah. Yeah, how about a project that has a link to one version of jQuery in one file and another version of jQuery in another file? Who would do that? Who would do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you get. Yeah, stuff like that happens. It does. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. But uh, there are different languages. Like, I wonder how this would behave against F-sharp. You know, something working much more recursively. I don't think an F-sharp developer would have any of these problems. <laughs> They're just inherently smarter than us. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, what, you uh, want to uh, hang that moniker on any other languages? Yeah, probably not. No, no I couldn't. I couldn't. It's just amazing. I just have, to, I have a hard time thinking that an F-sharp uh, function could, could suffer from uh, cyclomatic complexity just because of the nature of... of functions. Yeah, they tend to be very tend straight to be through. very small. Yeah, yeah, very straight through. It's the complexity is in the calling structure. Yeah. It's a good point. At least if you're Don Syme. Nice. So, I can make this part of my CI process. I can run it on the local machines. I can run it directly from the command line. And I can plug into Studio. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, if it's plugged into Studio, is it literally working all the time as I'm writing code? Uh, no, as far as I know, because I'm not a Visual Studio user, you can trigger, uh, you can run a command and say, okay, analyze my, this code file. Right. And give me what new issues I might introduce when I commit, I commit this file. Mm -hmm. And get a report, let's say, inline uh, comments about your, your, your uh, problem. And I think there's an Eclipse plugin, too. Yeah, it's yeah, an Eclipse plugin that. at the Visual yeah. Studio, yeah. Yeah. These are, the Eclipse plugin is officially supported. Visual Studio is provided by community okay. and third-party users. And as far as I know, there's also an IntelliJ plugin, which is in beta version, and mm -hmm. tries to do the same with Eclipse. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful stuff. And was this ever a commercial product? The plugins or the No, no, the, no. Um, SonarCube? Yeah. No, it's, it's free. You, you can, it's always been a free product. Always free product, but... Uh, okay, these guys need to to do something for a living, so they have some commercial plugins, and they provide sure. right. enterprise support that you can you can pay. But okay. the, the, the platform, the system, uh, it's open source that you can download it and install wow. it. So you can get all the value you want from it, but you're going to hit a point where you want certain features, and those features are for sale. Uh, enterprise yeah. features. That's that's the idea. They are, they they have some they have a great plugin. I would like to buy it from, from our company. They provide all the different metrics, 
by developers. Right. Meaning that you know who's the one that creates the most duplications, who's the one that's more responsible and writes unit tests. Mm -hmm. And this is the stuff that managers and team leaders want. So this is a very nice commercial plugin. So you, you have to pay about that. Well, you know, we brought up, I brought up Glimpse as, as part of the introduction to the show, which is about instrumenting a website in production. I just like this idea of instrumenting the development environment. You know, that we start to know what we're building as we're building it and how people are actually behaving mm. in that construction process. It's, just a, it's an interesting way to think about yeah. the problem. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to inspect my JavaScript code and break the build. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking a build in JavaScript. Isn't that interesting? It is. When isn't, it? isn't JavaScript broken? Uh, <laughs> you know, the problem is it'll break, but it just won't tell you. Nice. <laughs> you got to press F12 if you want to know what happened. No, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who that is... Let me tell you that Telerik Icinium enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. The new release of Icinium will allow .NET devs to utilize all of this Icinium platform goodness from within Visual Studio. These capabilities include comprehensive backend as a service, integrative support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities, making Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET. Telerik Icinium with its new Visual Studio extension is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at Icinium.com. That's Icinium, I-C-E-N-I-U-M.com slash D-N-R. Awesome. Don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jason P. Barrera. Congratulations, Jason. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yes, golf clap for Jason. Jason wins the DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything Telerik does in one box, a $2,000 value. And uh, we also give away on this show my CD in yes. a while, which is pretty, awfully pretty, good, pretty, pretty man. Damn awesome. It's pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah. Continues to get great accolades. Uh, John Schofield, the great guitar player who played with Miles Davis, and, and also me. Yeah. He came to the studio last May and <laughs> jammed with us, and it was just a blast. Anyway, Ben Awile is available at iTunes, Amazon, uh, MP3, and Nokia Music, and also you can listen to it at carlfranklin.com. Today's winner is Tom Hunter. Congratulations, Tom. I'm thinking we might change the .NET Rocks theme song music to one of the tunes off of Ben. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because it's getting a little old in the tooth. Well, Toy, Toy Boy, Boy needs to be updated. Well, it certainly does from the lyrical point of yes. view. But but even the, the tune's getting a little... Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to mess with that riff, man. Everybody knows that drum that's riff. That's true, but you know, there's so many better riffs out there. There are a few, I'm with you. So anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show we give away stuff. Every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology. And we like to ask our guests if you had $5,000 right now to spend on technology. What would I do? would you buy? Well, I'm a fan of uh, automation. So yeah. I would uh, buy widgets to automate my, my house. Mm -hmm. my what platform do you like? I don't know. Uh, anything that, that could be helped me to automate uh, the lights, fridge, the oven, my alarm, my what, garage, everything. 
So, Richard, what do you use there? I have, a, I have a few different systems integrated in my house. I have an X10 base system. X10, that's what yep. I was thinking. So X10 is for power automation, yep. right? Yeah. That's, that's one piece of it and does all the lighting right. very well and can do drapes and things like that. But, you know, there's the a lot of these. The stuff is working really yeah, nice. They, and then there's the Quirky stuff. Quirky makes these little sensor packs that are very programmable. Quirky? Quirky. Now, how do you spell that? Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com. <laughs> so, really? Quirky.com. It has all its vowels? <laughs> yep. They didn't, Jeez. they didn't mess around. It's actually Quirky. They got a good domain. Wow. And they make yeah. a bunch of kitchenware and so forth. But they make these little pucks that are arrays of sensors for a relatively small amount of money and a very if-this-then-that if kind of programming style. Really? So you just sort of scat them around your house and... and do stuff. And are they do they do the relays and power stuff? They or can. It's up, up Quirky, to you, huh? right? But yeah, just great. Just the, the things you ha listen, the things you learn hanging out with Richard Campbell. <laughs> awesome. So so this is the kind of stuff you'd like to just automate your house. Yeah, yeah. And That's with five grand, like you could fill your house with those kinds of pucks and sensors and go as nuts as you want to go so you know so. my wife has been at waiting for me to build a robot that will bring her a hot cup of coffee in the morning <laughs> she says once I've, you do that I've, you have earned your title as head geek right well i've met your wife at first thing in the morning when she hasn't had her coffee oh, yet yes. you need to get her you coffee don't, you don't want to see her in the morning. She's... anyway um so i thought about this and you know the the coffee maker does have a programmable thing where it'll grind the beans at a certain time and all that stuff is neat. But for some things, all I, I think whoever invents one of these would be a, a millionaire. Yeah. If you could get something that will push a button with a solenoid that would, with a suction cup, sort of stick over something and you could send it a tweet or a text message. Exactly. To push the button. I agree. Oh, button agree. pusher. Yeah. <laughs> now. Push the button now. Button pusher <laughs> with a battery that's hooked up to Twitter. You could sell millions of those things. Yeah. Somebody, please make one of these. Great idea for a startup. Just a, yeah. just a button pusher. Just a button pusher. Because <laughs> then, you you know, that it, that interfaces with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, button uh, uh, you, you really want a button pusher with a web interface on it. A button pusher with a couple of suction cups and a web interface. Yeah. <laughs> Pushing buttons is harder than it looks. It is not diff easy. Yeah. Not yep. a simple thing. All right. Good gadgets. Imagine if we sat down and planned out a $5,000 package of everything you need to automate your house. Oh. That'd be a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of different lot bits of and pieces. Stuff. Yeah. You can go as crazy as you want to go there. Mm. That's a whole show. I could go off on a whole tangent about yeah, oh, core instrumentation in your house. Come back to us, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> off we go. I'm going. Pull me back. Wait. No. We were talking about something. At the Green Lion, maybe. Later today. Nice. Yeah. Sonar. We were talking about sonar. Yes. So I hung out on the website, was looking around a bit, and one of the big things they emphasized in that conversation about sonar is this idea of instrumenting technical debt. Yeah. And I, I really want to dig into this because I think it's a huge issue that technical debt just seems to be invisible in our organizations. How do you make that visible? Yeah. Um, technical debt is it's a buzzword lately. And yeah. I think it, it became a buzzword because it is uh, easy to understood by non-technical guys as well. Mm -hmm. The financial uh, guys. Yeah, the guys that yeah. have the money. But, but they don't care about complexities and duplications. They don't understand it. They don't want to hear about that. No. But if you give them numbers and simple numbers, like technical that can 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 uh, present quality, like 
working days or uh, a quote quality measured in 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 currency in dollars or euros. Right. Yeah. These are the numbers they like. So I think that's that's why technical debt is it's, it's a buzzword. Now. Um, to calculate technical debt, you use all the seven axes of quality. You compute somehow, and you produce one number. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if you think that the analogy of the technical debt with the analogy of your credit card debt, and but you, you buy something and you have to purchase, to, to pay your installments every month, uh, if you forget to, to pay them for a while, for yes. several months, then you end up by paying the double money, okay? More, so more, more. The, the same analogy in, in Coco, your code, so code. If you don't pay down your technical debt, you will end up with um, too large technical debt and you, you'll find yourself by trying to, to pay it down rather than adding real business value in the system. Sure. You find yourself underwater. Yeah. Yeah. You, Over your head. You're always chasing, chasing your, 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 your tail. Okay. Well, this is what, what a legacy app is, right? Something that's bankrupt due to its technical debt. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but you can still uh, track the technical debt for a new code. You can, okay, I have yeah. legacy code. I leave it as it is. I don't care about that. It was written several years ago. It works. I don't know how, but it works. <laughs> so I, I do care about the new technical debt that I add from, from now and, and right. then on. So we can, you can deal only with this one. When I, and I see healthy projects accelerate like a, a well-crafted piece of software that's well cared for it becomes easier and easier to add features to it like it's mm -hmm. it's the other way than most projects which is as you're adding features you're decelerating it gets harder and harder and harder Indeed. to build new features into a yeah. project till it's you get to this point where it's like we just can't move the ball forward anymore exactly exactly i i used uh um in my talk, uh, a metaphor, the kitchen metaphor, mm -hmm. imagine that you, you go and you have Friday night some friends and you prepare some dinner. Yep. Okay, you prepare the dinner, you, you eat with your friends, but you don't clean up the mess in the kitchen because you are too tired. You go to bed, next morning you're going to prepare some breakfast. Okay, you find some space, right. you prepare it, but you, again you're leaving the same stuff yep. around there. Right. Try to do this about one, one week. Yeah. Right. After seven days, you won't be able to prepare any any meal. Yeah. And this, the same analogy comes to source code. You've if built you built up kitchen debt. <laughs> <laughs> if you right. don't clean clean your code when that, you finish a feature. We call that cruft. Yes. <laughs> Building up cruft. Cruft, yeah. yeah. So if you don't clean your code when you finish a feature, you won't be able to start a new one. It's yeah. the same analogy with a kitchen. Well, you can for a while. Yeah, for a while. For and then eventually... There's no counter space left. Mm. Yeah. And there's something growing in that bowl. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's looking at me. And it's much more difficult to clean up the mess after seven days. Oh, yeah. The older it is. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. the more, sometimes you got to throw the bowl away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sometimes you need to call animal control. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Could be meat. Might be cake. <laughs> I know. It's meat cake. <laughs> I miss George Carlin. Ah, crotchety old man he was. <laughs> But I love I love the analogy because it's exactly what's happening mm -hmm. right inside of our software yeah. is that they, we've, we're running out of counter space and we're and it's getting and it's harder to harder. clean up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer now in this idea that the more time that passes from you writing the code to you needing to fix the code, the harder it gets. And that time. Absolutely. You know, the big thing I found with, with good continuous integration environments is that if we could get the error messages back to the developer in under an hour. When they still remembered what they exactly, wrote, exactly. it's so much easier to fix. Well, and another th one thing that we haven't talked about all that much, and you did talk about it, but we sort of glazed over it, was documentation. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about this a little bit. So now, you, I know in, in Visual Studio we have sort of some macros built in that we can, 
you know, type a few keys and boom, we're, 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 we can document classes, methods, and all of that stuff. And then we can compile this into real help files and documentation. Yeah. Same kind of thing happens in Eclipse. Similarly in Java, Similar. you, you, can, mm -hmm. you can use Javadoc and uh, write some documentation for file level, class level and your method yeah. level. Great. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so if that's not there, right, mm -hmm. this will well, ensure that it is, I guess, uh, yeah, what you're saying. That's exactly what your, your SonarCube does. It yeah. tries to find public API that has no documentation. Yeah. Right. Uh, imagine uh, what you are using for Java guys. Try to use the Java API, which is a huge one, right. without any documentation. It would be really hard. Or try to use an external third-party library. It'd be like trying to figure out jQuery. For yeah, example. yeah. With no documentation, you have to see the source code and try to understand what the source code does. I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot for jQuery. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's about maintainability, and readability, and productivity. Yeah. That's yep. why you you need to to know at least how much of your public API isn't documented. Yep. Properly. But again, it's one of those things that wouldn't be caught in normal testing. So it's, it's like no, this you owe testing. this contribution to maintain your project. Mm -hmm. You're not really done until these things are done. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the definition of done is slightly modified here. I mean, you're not done only if you have correct code and tested code. Okay? Right. You are uh, you're following the, the requirements, the quality requirements that have been set for this specific uh, project. Mm -hmm. Then you're done. If you don't, if you haven't introduced any new technical debt right. or any new issue, I gotta imagine the first time you run Sonar on an existing project, <gasps> you get a very sad list. Yeah, that a was very my... long <gasps> sad. <list>. Heart attack. <laughs> we just went into big time debt. Yeah. Oh but, no! What's well, it's literally like? I just haven't looked at my bank account in months. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. I must be building up money, right? Like things are good in there, right? Yeah. And then you look, and it never exactly, is. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine you ran this thing on a project. It just said, hey, you're good. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you know, the thing, every time I hear about a technology like this, it gets us closer and closer to, you know, um, quality software. But, but still, quality software seems to elude a lot of, you know, uh, teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't really just all come down to our good architecture and good communication between your, your team. Yeah, uh, quality software is not only about the code quality, but then you have experts for the user interface. I mean, you can have a great quality in your code, but your user interface sucks, so no one uses it. Mm -hmm. Then there's no quality about the software in general. Right. So software quality in general is not only about these metrics. Yeah. You have some other stuff that you have to ensure that, okay, it meets the standards about the quality you have set. Right, I mean, the, oh, everything that we've talked about um, it's about comes into play after you've already, you know, designed really well, uh, a good architecture. Yeah, and, yeah. You, know. you might have a good architecture, but in yeah. the meanwhile, you might have broken it. Okay, right, sure. exactly. You have some, and you can have the best uh, process in the world, but if you've yeah, written sucky software, some new congratulations, it's going to run. Some some juniors that, that don't know the the, the the domain or the right. architecture, and they they yeah. can easily break it down. Yeah. Yeah, there's more to it than that, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. I love it. Well, always any, a challenge. And you continue to contribute to this project yourself? Like, do you add uh, new features? Not SonarCube uh, itself, but I have, uh, I'm a contributor about several plugins that can be as add ons mm -hmm. in SonarCube uh, Core, uh, about seven, uh, five, four or five plugins. 
but I'm not a contributor to the core. They don't allow uh, other guys to contribute uh, in, the, in their main uh, the track line. Yeah, they, okay. You can download it, but it's, I, I've seen in the last three years one or two um, uh, requests in GitHub that had been integrated in their environment. Right. They so don't it's allow. a tough core to break into. Yeah, yeah, but you can create your plugins and add yes. some extra functionality to the core. And how button. tough is it to build a plugin? Is this something that I might end up doing if there's some weird feature I want in my yeah, environment? Yeah, um, you have to be familiar with Java. You can write in another language, or and Ruby, right? And a little bit with with Maven. Mm -hmm. They have a well, very well documented API and web services. Uh, so the first time you're going to to try to implement a plugin, you might get some difficulties. But I think that as soon as you finish the first one, uh, you will. The next one could be even, even easier to do that. Nice. And, and are you finding folks doing that, or is the plugin suite complete? Is most everything we need there? Sorry, is a plugin? Like, are there many plugins left to build? Are, are many people are still building them, or is they, have they, I think yeah, there's like 50 yeah, of them, right? Yeah, actually, um, every new language that it is, it's added as supported, it's a new plugin. Mm -hmm. So you can build plugins for every single language. So you can sure. integrate uh, other tools with with SonarCube. I mean, I've write, written a plugin about integrated and acceptance testing framework, Fusidides, I don't know if you've heard about it, with SonarCube. So you can, eventually there are endless possibilities to integrate SonarCube with other other tools or to provide some more functionalities. What about right. on the back end? Can you add another test or another, uh, you know, something that it's going to check? Yeah, you can do that, but I don't know if they they're going to accept it. <laughs> you, right. you, can do, you can create a pull request, but it's, it's up to the uh, development team to accept it. You have not. to convince them there's an eighth sin. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> They're happy with the seven right now. Yeah, but yeah, can yeah, we actually yeah. come up with an eighth sin? Yeah. Well, it's kind of convenient that there's seven, isn't it? <laughs> so that I mean, why it. just seven, right? Yeah. You exactly know? seven. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's worked out that way. So what's next uh, on your list, to-do list? What are you off to now? Today? No, not necessarily today. Well, I just finished uh, Sonar Cube in Action book. It was published last uh, last week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd like to write a new one about technical debt. Yeah. So that's my next step about uh, code quality in general. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you too. It's great. Okay. Uh, great talking to you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time <laughs> on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a